We are on Yevamos, the very bottom of Membez, Amabez 42b3 in the Art Scroll Gemara. Uh, the Gemara is uh, discussing the topic of who do we paskin like, who do we pask, who do we follow as the halacha in a Mishnah when it is a Stam Mishnah, when it is a Stam Mishnah, meaning it doesn't mention uh, who made that statement, it's anonymous. Uh, and in general, we follow that position. When, when it's not mentioned who uh, who made that statement, uh, in general, we follow uh, that position. But there are different uh, situations which are and different types of Mishnayos, which the Gemara now is going to discuss. And so this is a conversation between Rabbi Nachum and Rabbi Avo. Uh, so Rabbi Nachum asked him, and we mentioned this in the last recording from last week, what happens in the following scenario? What happens if there's first a dispute? There's a machlokas. And then there's a third position, which is stam. It's not mentioned who the author is of that uh, of that third position. So what's the law? We follow the position like the stam, like that third position. And we mentioned in the last recording that uh, somebody wanted to explain the idea is, is that that third position uh, sort of was analyzing the first two positions and then it came to uh, the third position, and that's why it's mentioned last, and so therefore we follow that last position. But if it's the other way around, stam what happens if the stam is mentioned first as the first position, the anonymous position is mentioned first, and then there is a dispute uh, between different people? What's the law? In that case, we do not follow the stam. We do not follow the uh, anonymous position. What about the following? The next two cases. What happens in a scenario where the Mishnah is stam? The Mishnah is stated as an anonymous position. It doesn't say who says it. Uh, but the Brisa, and we've constantly referred back to the Brisa and the Gemara. The Gemara constantly quotes Brisos. Uh, the Brisa is, are added notes to the Mishnayos. But the Brisa mentions the Machlokas. The Brisa is the one that mentions the dispute. What is the law? Halachkistam. Rabbi Avo says that we follow the Mishnah. The Mishnah is stam. Um, and therefore, we follow the position of the Mishnah. What about if it's the other way around? What happens if there's a dispute in the Mishnah? But the Brisa mentions one opinion, and it says it as, without mentioning who said it, it's the Stam. Uh, so do we follow the Brisa in that case? So the Gemara has an interesting line, now turning to the top of page, the Gemara says, Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Huda Nasi, he was the author of the Mishnayos. Rabbi Chia was the one who, that they really compiled. They compiled the Mishnayos, and Rabbi Chia compiled uh, the Brisas. And so if Rabbi didn't teach it as a Stam, meaning Rabbi didn't teach it in such a way where it's clear who we follow, what the law is, who we follow in the end of the day, and Rabbi did not teach it that way, so the fact that Rabbi Chia, what is Rabbi Chia doing? Rabbi Chia is his student. He's the student of Rabbi Huda Nasi, of Rabbi. So what what right does he have to then say that we follow a certain position and therefore he phrases it as a stam? No, he doesn't have the right to do that. And so therefore we will not follow the stam, uh, the position that's not mentioned, doesn't mention who the author is of that Mishnah, of that of that statement. We will not follow the Brisa in that case, even though the Brisa is mentioned as stam anonymously. Uh, but since the Mishnah is not, the Mishnah mentions the, the, the specific authors, those who made those statements in that dispute, so therefore, we will not follow the Stam in those cases. Rabbi Chia doesn't have uh, the right to argue on his Rebbe, on his teacher, uh, Rabbi Huda Hanasi. Okay, and those are the 
different cases which are discussed between Rabbi Avahu and his uh, his servant uh, Rabbi Nachum. Rabbi Nachum then says, Amar Lei, Rabbi Nachum now, now asks the following question, and the Gemara now will be analyzing the coming Mishnah based on this question. He says, Vatanam, but we have the following Mishnah. There's the following Mishnah, which is a Stam. It doesn't mention who the author is. And we do not follow that position. We're going to see that we do not follow the position of this Stam. So he's asking a question on what Rabbi Avoh just said. But we have the following Mishnah. Now this Mishnah has nothing to do with Yivamos. This Mishnah is found in Mesechus Kalim. It's found in the Tractate of Kalim of Utensils. And it's the, the tractate discusses different utensils and whether or not they are susceptible to tumah, to impurity. And the general rule is, the very simple general rule is that if it has a use, if it has a purpose, so then if it's a kli that has a utensil that has a purpose, so then it is susceptible to impurity, to tumah. And if it doesn't have a purpose, so then it is not susceptible to impurity. And so the mission discusses the following utensil. Masrik Shilpishin. What happens if you have a comb? A comb is u- which is used for flax, uh, to comb the flax. So this type of a comb is a, it's a wood, it has a wooden, it's a wooden comb with metal teeth. So the, the teeth of the comb are metal, uh, but it's wooden, the handle is wooden. Uh, so what happens in the following cases? Tameos. So case number one is where, let's say, all the teeth fall out. You only are left with two teeth. There are two teeth, metal teeth are remaining on this comb. So that's, it still could be susceptible, it's still susceptible to Tumah, because it's still usable. The point is that it's still usable. But if it's just one, you're only left with one, so then no, it's not usable anymore, and it is Tahura. It, is, it does not have the ability uh, to become impure. Then it adds, if, if you take out for each of these metal teeth, if you, if you just take one out, it's usable, it is usable. Rashi explains... Uh, that you can use this either to clean uh, the candelabra, uh, or it could be used as uh, to to hang things upon it as a, as a hook. Um, these are different things that you can use. It's essentially a nail. So each nail there, it, it is usable, and so therefore each nail, if it falls off uh, the comb, they are susceptible to tumma. They can become impure. That's all with regards to a comb which is made to comb flax. What if it's sheltzemer? It's made a comb which is used for raw wool, and it's combing wool. So now the laws are as follows. If you, for every three, uh, for every three uh, nails or these teeth on the comb, if you take the middle one out, you take the middle one out, so it's now every other one. Um, in that case, it is tahor. The, the comb itself is tahor. It cannot become impure. It is always pure uh, because it has no use. However, if you leave three of these teeth in one place, you have, there are three of them in one place, so then it can, it is susceptible to uh, impurity, it can become impure. Okay? Then it says, However, if one of the three, we have this row of three, but one of the three are in the outer part of the comb, so you have to know the uh, specifics of this type of a comb that they used, but if it's on the outer part where it's thicker and therefore it's harder to use, so then tahor, so then it's not included and it is tahor, uh, it's automatically pure. It cannot. It is not susceptible to impurity. Then the Mishnah continues. One last point. Um, the Mishnah says, "Nitlu beis vasan." A few more points. Nitlu beis vasan lemelakit tmeos. If you take two of the teeth and you sort of uh, turn it into 
tweezers. So now that it's turned into tweezers, so now it is susceptible to tumma because it's usable. But if you have one achas, if you only have one, uh, basically a one nail, so if you then fix it in such a way where it's now usable to clean the candelabra, or it's used, it could be used as a hook, you fix it in some way to be used as a hook, so then it is susceptible to tumat and purity because it is usable. That is the Mishnah. It's really a Mishnah which um, you have to know the details of the types of combs that they used in those days, but that is the Mishnah. And the point is, the whole point is that the Mishnah is mentioned as a stam. It doesn't mention who the author is. And we don't follow that Mishnah. We do not follow that Mishnah, and that seems to be going against Rabbi Avahu's whole um, whole teaching. That if the Mishnah is stam, if the Mishnah is just mentioned as a stam, so then we have to follow the Mishnah, and yet in this case we do not follow the Mishnah. So the Gemara is going to give three suggestions as to why we do not follow this Mishnah. And it will reject the first two and follow the third one. So here we go. Suggestion number one is that we, this Mishnah that we just mentioned about the combs, Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi they both say that it's an incorrect Mishnah. The reason why we don't follow this Mishnah, in general, we do have the rule that we follow the Mishnah that's a stam, that's uh, it's said without a, any specific author. Uh, but over here, it's not. It's, it's an improper Mishnah. There's something wrong about this Mishnah. Just the Minei Obey, internally, there's something which is wrong about the Mishnah. What's wrong with this Mishnah? My Taima. What's wrong about the Mishnah? So the Gemara is going to give two suggestions as to what's wrong. And it's going to reject both. So, They say because there's a, there's a contradiction between the beginning and the end. Why? There's a contradiction when it comes to the Tzemer, the second part of the Mishnah with the wool. First it says that if you take every, one, every other one out, every other tooth out, and so you never have two next to each other, so then, then, in such a scenario, it's impossible for it to become tame. If you don't have two next to each other, it cannot become uh, tame. It cannot become impure. But the very next line says, if you have three together, so then... Sorry. So the first part is that if you take uh, every other one out, uh, so then that makes it tahar. But if it's in, uh, so then you have two together. If you have two together, so then it is susceptible for impurity. If you have two together, then it is susceptible to impurity. Uh, but the very next line says that if you have three uh, teeth next to each other of this comb, so then it's impure. The implication is that if you only have two, so then it cannot become impure. So there's a contradiction between the first part and the second part. The first part implies that two can become impure. It is susceptible to impurity. Uh, the second part implies that it cannot become impure. So there's a contradiction, an internal contradiction. Sigmar says, no, what's the problem? My now, there's different ways to explain this line, uh, but Rashi explains essentially that there are different the different rows of, of teeth in this comb. They have the inner one and the outer one, um, and the outer one is really where most of the work is done. The inner one is really just to collect the wool, and so therefore, when it comes to the outer one, we really need three in one place. Only once you have three in one place is it usable, uh, but for the inner one, even if you just have two in one two in one place. Uh, it is usable because it's not the main part of it. It's really just to collect the wool um, after you comb it. And so therefore, uh, two would suffice to make it susceptible to impurity because it's usable after when you have two in the same place. Okay, so they reject that. So now the Gemara, the Gemara wants to say, you know what? There's a different problem with that Mishnah. 
There's a contradiction because first it says that with regards to these nails that fall off, that these nails automatically become tummy. They're susceptible to tumma, to impurity, because they are usable. But then in the end, it says that no, only if you fix them, if you fix them for the candelabra, if you fix them to be a hook, only if you fix them, not automatically, then it becomes impure. Implication is that if you didn't fix it, so then it, it is it is not susceptible to impurity. So the Gemara gives two explanations as to, to explain this contradiction. Amar Baye, Abaye says, first of all, my kosher, demahabaka, sayu, habaloka sayu. Abaye says, no, maybe it depends on whether or not uh, it, when the nails came off the comb, did also part of the wooden handle also come off? If part of the wooden handle came off, so then there's no need to fix it. Because now it can be used uh, to clean, it can be used as a hook, because part of the wooden, wooden handle came along with it. Um, if there is no wooden handle, so then you do have to fix it. So that's how you explain the contradiction. Rav Papa says, I have another way to explain the contradiction. Maybe it really depends on the thickness of the nail. If it's very small, so then it's not usable, so you have to fix it. But if it's thick, uh, and so therefore you don't need a, really need it to own a handle, so therefore uh, you do not need to fix it. So there's different ways to explain the contradiction. So we rejected two of the suggestions as to why this Mishnah is really not a good Mishnah. Um, the Gemara wanted to give different suggestions as to why there's an internal contradiction. And we explained that there is no internal contradiction. So now suggestion number three, and this is what the Gemara follows in the end. El Mishim de Davkini Zu Rabbi Shimon. The Gemara says that those who had proper who had proper knowledge of the, the proper text is said that this is really not a Stam Mishnah. This is not a Stam Mishnah. This is not an uh, anonymous Mishnah where we don't know who the author is. No, it says, These are the words of Rib Shimon. This, it says explicitly in this Mishnah that we follow Rib Shimon. So therefore, uh, we cannot apply the rule of the Halachic Islam in this Mishnah because this Mishnah is not without an author. It says, We say we know who exactly the author is. The author is... Rabbi Shimon. So that answers that question. Um, and we are we are left with Rabbi Avahu's statement that we do, in general, we follow the halacha kistam. If there's a Mishnah where it doesn't mention the author, we do follow that as the halacha. The Gemara now, for the next couple of lines and for the rest of this recording, it returns back to our original discussion. The original discussion is about waiting three months. The fact that we have to wait three months, uh, a woman has to wait three months in order to remarry. So the Mishnah, and also with regards to a halachic engagement. Uh, and we, if you recall, we had a dispute, we had a machlokas in the Mishnah. Uh, are they allowed to become halachically engaged? The first opinion says that they cannot become halachically engaged, even though uh, they will not have any marital relations during that halachic engagement. We made a general rule across the board. Uh, but the other opinions, the second two opinions, Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi, they are of the opinion that there could be a halachic engagement within the first three months because there is no... Marital relations. The Gemara says as follows: Shalach Rebbechia Barabin, Maarsin Tov Gimel. Rebbechia Barabin sent that you could have erisin. You could do erisin within the first three months. You could have a halachic engagement. You can't get married, but you could have a halachic engagement within the first three months. V'chein Osin Maisa. And in fact, that's what that, that's what occurred. That's exactly what occurred. The Gemara then has uh, a little bit uh, a line with which is a little unclear to completely understand. Because the, Mishnah, the Gemara then says, Rabbi Lazar taught from the great Rabbi Chanina. Uh, similarly, the problem is, why is it exactly similarly? This seems to be a, a slightly different point. But he also says that, I guess the point is that it's not exactly a full three months. He also agrees that it doesn't have to be a full three months. But he says that, He says, you don't have to wait a full three months. Uh, it's not necessary to wait a full three months. Perhaps he's even discussing not just a halachic engagement, but actual marriage. 
He's of the opinion that you have to wait just uh, the, the entire middle month, so that's 30 days, and the majority of the first month and the last month. So let's say the majority is uh, 16 days, so then it would be a total of 62 days. That He's of the opinion that 62 days, you don't have to wait 90 days, it's enough to wait 62 days. By the time 62 days come, you will know whether or not uh, she is uh, she is pregnant. So it's slightly different uh, than the first two opinions, or the first opinion of Rebbe Chiyabar Avin, who says that you're allowed to get engaged. Perhaps uh, the 62 days is discussing when you're allowed to get married. Uh, but it's a similar opinion in the sense that you don't have to wait the full 90 days. You do not have to wait the full three months. Okay. Amemar Sharali Aris Biyom Tishim. New point also. Amemar says that he allows somebody to become halakhali engaged on day 90. On day 90 itself, meaning three months later. So this is assuming, this means that a mamer follows the position that you have to wait three months in order to be a, come engaged, but he's lenient that you don't have to wait 90 plus days. On the 90th day itself, you can become halakhali engaged. Implication is really that to get married, you have to, you'd have to wait till the next day. Uh, but for at least for the halakhic engagement, uh, perhaps because uh, the reason to wait for halakhic engagement is not because of danger, but it's really because of a low plug that we have a rule across the board. So therefore, you could wait up to the 90th day. During the 90th day itself, you could become engaged. We could apply the principle of mixus ayam kikulo, that since part of the day passed, it's as if the entire 90th day passed, and you could become halakhic engaged. But you cannot get married. Marriage is still where there's marital relations. That still is a, a concern. And so therefore, you have to wait till the 91st day. That is the position of a Amemar. Amalei Ravashi Amemar. Ravashi says to Amemar... Rav and Shmuel, they both say, no, the 90-day count does not include the day in which the husband passed away, and it does not include the day of heirs and the day of a halachic engagement. That seems to be exactly against a memar. Rav and Shmuel seem to imply against the memar that you cannot wait, uh, that you cannot become engaged on the 90th day itself. So the Gemara answer is no. We misunderstood Rav and Shmuel, they were not discussing waiting three months uh, for her to remarry. They're discussing a totally different, different law. They're discussing the law of waiting 24 months. That if there's, We've had this in the past also, in last week's recording, that you're not allowed to marry somebody who's nursing out of concern that since you're not the father, uh, so the father's not the father, so there's a concern that they're not going to pay for the formula and the baby's going to end up dying. Um, so you have to wait 24 months. Uh, uh, so the Gemara says that Rav and Shmuel, they were both of the opinion that that you do not include in those 24 months the day that the child was born and also the day that they become engaged. That That's not included in the 24 months. The Gemara says, Gemara says, returning back uh, to the original line, it's going back on a Memar. Memar again, he, just to review, he said that you were allowed to become halachically engaged on the 90th day itself. On the 90th day, you become engaged. Someone says, but but there was a story where somebody did that, and Rava made them lose the entire meal. That he canceled the whole meal. Uh, so Rava canceled the whole meal on the 90th day itself. Seems to be because he holds that you're not allowed to become engaged on the 90th day. My answer is no. There we also misunderstood that case. Halhi sudas nisu in hava. That is a. That wasn't a halachic engagement, that was a marriage. For a marriage, that you have to wait after 90 days. So just to conclude, the Gemara then says, The halacha, in the end of the day, the law is, 
that you have to wait 24 months, uh, excluding the day in which the baby was born and excluding the day in which they got became engaged. Uh, this is with regards to a woman who is nursing, so you have to count 24 months. And also, a woman who's remarrying after her husband passed away or after they got divorced, they have to wait three months, and that's also excluding the day in which her husband passed away and the day in which she became uh, engaged. So you would have to wait three months, even uh, a complete three months. You cannot become engaged on the 90th day. You would only be able to become engaged after the 90th day. So that concludes uh, really that part of the Gemara and that entire topic. We will continue with the next part of the topic of the Mishnah in the next recording. Uh, but in the end of the day, uh, just to know practically, we try to find ways to, uh, uh, practically today, uh, to find ways in order to allow somebody who's nursing uh, to to get married. That even though she's nursing, it's a whole big discussion, but we try to find ways in order to allow her uh, to get married even within the 24 months.